Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Father, we're thankful for the word. We pray tonight that you would just bring it home to us where we live. Help us to put our faith into shoe leather and practice, not just talk about it, not just inform one another what's in the Word, but Lord, we pray for life change because of it. Thank you for transforming us, bringing us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of thy dear Son. And now, Lord, I pray that the sunlight of Christ would shine in such a way that those around us would really know there's been a change in us. We think of our own neighbors that need to get saved. Lord, I pray that they would open the windows and see in us and our families, and our life, and how we live, and our schedules, and what we say, and how we talk, and how we suffer. I pray, Lord, they'd see Jesus in us. And tonight, we pray that you'll teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 1, we've already read a few verses. Let me just remind you, we've already jumped in last week, or last time we met together. And James, of course, the author, that's obvious, but this is not the James who's the disciple. It's the half-brother of Jesus Christ. His name originally, I don't know if you can remember this from our last time we studied, is Jacob. And really the name of Jacob in the original means he that followeth after. Anybody know why? Remember the story of Jacob and Esau? Uh, Of course, uh, Jacob followed Esau in birth order. James, the author of this wonderful epistle, came to know Christ as his Savior only after the resurrection. That's interesting. They grew up in the same home as brothers. And, uh, and certainly, James was highly impacted by the life of this brother, who was, at least in his mind, unusual. Think about the Lord. We don't know much about his childhood, but I can imagine that the prayer habits that he had later in life didn't start when he was 30, but they uh, started early in life, and he must have been an unusual, certainly an unusual brother to have. And James, however, after the resurrection, the Bible tells us a little phrase in 1 Corinthians 15, 7 After the resurrection, the Lord was seen of Peter, the disciples, over 500 at once. And then the Bible inserts a little fascinating phrase. And he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and of Paul, or me also, Paul, writing to the Corinthians. The Lord must have known that James, the author of this wonderful book, needed a personal private assurance from the Lord, and so he met with his half-brothers. We started the book last week. He introduces himself with this really, what I think is a wonderful introduction to yourself. James, he doesn't have any self-accolades, does he? What does he say? James chapter 1, verse 1, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. He sends a greeting. Now, we know that this is a cyclical letter. That means it's sent out to the various churches of those who have been pushed away from Jerusalem at the point of the spear of persecution. So he's writing them this letter of encouragement and a practical note of how to live your faith. James, unlike most American Christians, knew a little bit about persecution himself. History tells us that James was martyred. End of his life, they carried him up to the pinnacle of the temple and they thrust him off. The scribes and the Pharisees simply pushed him off the tallest part of the temple. If you've been to Jerusalem, you know it's up there a ways. James, this dear pastor of the church at Jerusalem, survived the fall. And so they gathered around 
at the base where he fell and began to cast stones at him. And still, his life persisted until somebody took a club and finished him off. So James, writing to those who were persecuted, knew himself of the intense opposition that came to a true believer in Christ, especially in the first century. Well, as we talked last week, we were encouraged as he begins his practical note letter, really. He says, you're to be thankful when you are falling into various trials and temptations, verse 2. So we said this by way of outline last time, be joyful. God, even in the midst of difficulty, God's tests are by his design. I won't ask you to raise your hand tonight if perhaps you're going through something, enduring something that's difficult. I find as a pastor, if I ever have a uh, a, a question of what should I preach about next, uh, the thought of suffering always comes to mind because all of us, to one degree or another, are going through difficulties. So he says, be joyful, don't be surprised. They are by God's design in our lives. And then verse 3 tells us to be patient. Let, let, let these trials have its perfecting work. Uh, some of you know about, you cooks know about putting meat in a crock pot. You don't just turn it on five minutes later, come back. But that crock pot has a perfecting work on that steak or whatever it is. And so it is the trials, the heat rises. And God says that that prolonged exposure to difficulty produces in you a godly character. Often I can tell the, the godliest people in the church simply by how many scars they wear and how they responded to the difficulties of life. Some of the sweetest people are those that have been through the most trials and difficulties. So he said, be joyful, be patient. And then verse 5, be wise. God invites you in the midst of all your confusion and difficulties and questions in life to come to him. If any of you, (laughs) that would be me and you, all of us, if we lack wisdom, don't try to figure it out on your own or Read the horoscope or ask even friends first. Go to Christ. Go to God. He gives to men liberally and doesn't chide us for coming. And the, and the promise is, it shall be given to you. You know that James knew a little bit about prayer himself. He was called Camel Knees for his many hours. That was his nickname. I don't know what nickname you have, but what a special nickname that would be. They called me Rag Ears because of my last name when I was growing up. Rigear, Rag Ears. I thought that was so funny. But someone gave this man this name, Camel Knees, because of the, the calluses on his knees for long hours praying on hard surfaces. I wonder. I, just, I was convicted just by his name. I wonder how many of our children have even seen us kneel recently in prayer at all. And here's a great reminder to us, this godly pastor who led the church in Jerusalem, at least in the early days, was a man of great prayer. Well, we've come now to verse 9, and let's read through verse 18. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Some have called this book the Proverbs of the New Testament because it often jumps around from theme to theme and topic to topic, almost without... um, any warning. And so he's talking now to about folks in the church. They came at all different degrees and stations economically, some slaves, some rich, some, some owners of great businesses and so forth. But he says this, verse 9, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Let the rich 
in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass. I reminded you last week how James loves to use illustrations from nature. Waves of the sea, flowers, grass, and so forth. And here we come to verse 11. The sun rises and withers the grass, and the flower fades and falls. The grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed, happy, to be envied, verse 12, is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted to do, do wrong or evil, I'm tempted of God. We talked about those who blame God for their trials and temptations. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, strong desires, and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And here's the progression, the downward declension. Sin, when it's finished, what does it bring forth? Death. There's great danger in sin unconfessed. And so it is, he says, verse 16, don't err. Don't be mistaken, my beloved brethren, as to the origin of sin. Every good gift, turning the tension to the positive side, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, has a heavenly orientation, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, no change, neither shadow of turning, not even a shadow of turning. Of his own will, he begat us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind, a type. Speaking to the first generation there, first century church, that we should be a, the first fruits of his creatures. Well, I don't know tonight, I asked the question earlier, if you're suffering trials. I don't know if you remember the missionary family we had recently at a missions conference, the, the Fitzgerald family. Uh, his name is Buddy and her name is Lauren. They have some children. I picked up a, a Facebook post from them, maybe you got it too, about the trials that they had suffered just on the mission field in Peru since December. Let me read you just some of the difficulties in their lives as missionaries. She said this, December the 1st, I had surgery. December the 13th, political riots erupt in Peru. December 14th, Joseph, our son, contracts dengue fever. December 30, Buddy breaks his hand. January 3, riots in our town turn violent. January 20, protesters stop us after an outreach in the city. January 23, that's this year, our dogs kill our goats. Hey, that's a trial. And uh, then 25th, both Buddy and I get MRIs. January 27th, neurosurgeon confirms tumor found in Buddy's back. January 30, Buddy will need surgery soon. January 31, not our will. But thine be done. They still don't know yet um, about the condition of that, at least at the reading of the, the post, of what that tumor is. Is it cancerous or not? Well, as we look at James, this kind of becomes a harsh reality to us. It's not just suffering for the cause of Christ, but there's all kinds of trials we face. So he says, be joyful, be patient, be wise. 
And now he adds some principles to this wonderful start in this uh, book in verses 9 through 18. He starts that uh, these trials, verse, verse 9 says, we're, we're going to turn our attention to the status, the folks that are coming to the churches. He says, be, be wise. But then I want you to know, no matter what your economic status is, I've got an encouragement for you. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, the rich that he is made low, humiliated, and then because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. Churches were full of all kinds of diverse, diversity in terms of economic status, racial uh, makeup, composition, just as they are in our own day, but there were some slave owners and slaves, same church, some uh, all coming together under the under, of course, the heading of Christ who saved them and brought them to faith. And, and so he says, you'll talk about uh, just discrimination later in the book, but here he's talking about those who are coming together, seated together, worshiping together, enjoying the Lord's table together, and enjoying life in church together. And he says, well, I want you to know something. I want the, the brother of low degree, let him rejoice in that he is exalted. Now, what do you suppose Paul is, or excuse me, James is talking about. Is he simply saying, hey, if you don't have a lot of money, you get a raise, get excited about that. Now, it's wonderful when that happens. And is he saying to the brother who is rich, rejoice when you have a, a great loss? <laughs> is that the idea? Not really. I was visiting a church uh, in San Francisco, right across um, the Golden Gate Bridge, and we were visiting years and years ago, considering a ministry there, and right in Marin County, one of the richest counties in America, and the church all had about 50 folks in it, and, and I remember in a deacon's meeting as they asked me questions, and I asked them about just, you know, the health of their church in all kinds of ways, spiritually, financially. Uh, one of the deacons piped up and said, well, in our church, dear brother, we have quite a diversity of financial and economic status. Says, we have in our church a millionaire. He didn't give me his name. <laughs> and we have also a man who sleeps in his car at night. And I thought, well, that's wonderful that you have that wide range, the high degree and the low degree. But I thought to myself as I was leaving the church, how's come it is that the brother who had the millions of dollars didn't at least buy a cot for the guy <laughs> Just a question I had. I didn't bring it up that time. But so it is there's all in this church as well, all kinds of diversity in terms of economics. And he says in verse uh, number, uh, number 9 here, let the brother of low degree rejoice. That word rejoice uh, is really stronger than what you might, might see it here. It's really let him boast. Again, he's not talking about the fact that perhaps the, the brother without a lot of money gets a raise, a windfall. Not that at all. There's a spiritual component here. Let the brother of low degree boast in that he is brought up, raised up by the gospel. And let the brother who is rich in that he is humiliated and brought low. So we could really re-read this verse. Let the lowly brother boast in his spiritual exaltation and the rich brother rejoice in his spiritual Humiliation. Why? Why would James say that? Remember the Lord as he shook his head at the rich young ruler? What did he say to him? 
As he departed, at least say to the disciples, Matthew 19, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? It takes what? Great humility, repentance, brokenness of heart. Remember the two that came to the temple and one prayed, uh, you know, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that person, that public and that tax. I'm glad, the Pharisee, I'm glad I'm not like that. And what did the poor tax collector or the broken sinner say? He beat on his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me. And the, the, the idea here is simply this, that we ought to, if we're low, we ought to thank God for grace that found us out. And if we're very rich, be very thankful because there are very few rich folks tend to trust in their riches. Be very thankful, he says to the very rich of this church, that you, are not tr- that you have found Christ, that in brokenness and repentance you came to Christ, whether rich or poor, we all get saved the same way by the grace of God. No trust of our own or in our own things or works. And so he says, you ought to rejoice whether you're high degree or low degree that you have been exalted by the grace of God. And so that's really the idea there. Both rich and poor must fully depend on Christ to save them. And the moment you do, you become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Whether you're slave or master, you become part of God's family. All you have to do is read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 and understand that He's lifted us up, right? To, I love that phrase, to be seated with Christ spiritually, positionally, in heavenly places. And one day, no matter where we've been and how little we've had or how much we've had, if we're truly saved, we'll step into the very uh, uh, the atmosphere of heaven, the glorified bodies and Wow, we'll be thankful for what God has done. And hopefully it starts earlier than just then. I told the group on Wednesday night that we're studying the Bible study on finances now about a man who was so consumed with his gold. And he asked, uh, of course, this is a story, but he asked, please, uh, to the departing angels as they gathered (laughs) the death angels, he said, would you please, all my life I've been hoarding this one brick of gold. Please let me take it to heaven. And as the story goes, the angel said, well, for this one time, we'll make an exception if you have to. And so he put it in a brown bag, and they buried it with him in the casket. He arrived in glory, and the attending angels at the gate looked at him, and they looked inside the bag and said, what in the world is so important that you actually brought it all the way to heaven? And they peeked inside and saw the golden brick, and they scratched their heads and they looked at him and said, My, my, you bought a piece of pavement all the way to heaven? You see, we grab those things that are so important to us and we invest our lives in it and we protect it. And we have to understand that the gospel it is that makes us rich spiritually. And he has made us seated together with him in heavenly places. So we are to be joyful, be patient, be wise, be thankful. Our boast is in Christ alone. Let him that boasteth Boast in this, that he knows and understands that I am the Lord, Jeremiah 9, 24. So we are to be thankful. He brings up the low, he brings down the rich, so that no tongue can say, I am here of my own accord. Verse 11 is a great reminder. The sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, withers the grass, the flower fades, the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, great Bible teacher now with the Lord, uh, 
ministered for many years in California. He had a, a movie star get saved late in life. She was elderly when she got saved and started attending his church. And he said, I think of her when I read this verse because the pictures of her when she was young and as a movie star were so glamorous and beautiful. But he said, by the time she got saved and came to our church, that glory had long faded away. Some of us know about that, right? Mirrors aren't quite like they used to be. And here he's saying the rich man will fade away. The word is just kind of wither away like the grass. And we all feel the effect of aging. We can't hold on to anything that's temporal, so we better be investing in what is eternal. Let no man glory in man. 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23. Let no man glory in man, for all things are yours in Christ. Clearly, we are fading away, and the things that we clutch, temporal things, are rusting and fading away. I uh, think of many folks that are gathering even tonight in Zimbabwe. I got off the phone with our missionary to Zimbabwe. Her husband, uh, Laverne, uh, Laverne's husband, as Pastor Stewart, has passed away a few years ago. Not too long ago, really, and she continues the work and uh, her later years up in Zimbabwe, or over in Zimbabwe, Africa. It's so difficult to get a hold of her. We'd like to take some of our team onto Zimbabwe this November. So I wanted to get a hold of her, and, and as I did, I, I asked her, so how are the churches there? She said, they're doing wonderful. And they're so excited to have some of uh, you folks come and visit us. And I said, what can we bring? And of course, we have as a church... Bless them with a Christmas offering. I said, what can we bring that would just be a blessing? She says, just bring Bible teachers and Bible preachers. And she said, our people uh, will be fine if they don't get any kind of thing from you except for long sermons. Amen. All God's. She says, do not come over here. She says, don't even show up here with little, tidy, 20-minute messages. She says, you better be ready to preach three and four hours at a time. And the people will sit there and they'll soak it in and they'll ask you for more. In fact, if you preach less than an hour, this is like a preacher's paradise, I think. Uh, if you preach less than an hour, she said, they're going to throw stuff at you. They're, they're going to be disappointed. So we're excited about going over there. We're going to take um, as many, of the, we're going to just conscript everybody as preachers and, and just get uh, Bible studies together with them. We're looking forward to going there to these folks that have hungry hearts for what is eternal. Well, we are to be thankful, rich or poor. Our wealth is in Christ. And uh, James reminds us of that. And then verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. This verse, I mean this word, in the old English can be a little bit misleading. In this particular verse, it's blessed is the man that endureth not temptations to do wrong or evil, but it is... Blessed is the man that endureth trials. Now, verse 13, same word is used, but it, it's in a different context. In that verse, it is evil temptations, seductions. But in this verse, it's about trials. And so blessed, verse 12, is the man that endureth long-winded trials. For when he is tried, he shall receive. The Bible says, an interesting phrase, it mentions many times crowns that the Christians win. Or earn. These are not certainly uh, the idea of earning rewards that will get us into heaven. We know that we can't earn our way to heaven. It's by the grace of God. But when this 
This is a special prize or award or reward for those that endure faithfully, righteously the trials that God sends them. How do you respond to trials? Now, we can't be dogmatic about this. It may be a literal crown that comes at the end of our lives for enduring well the trials he sends. That may be the case. But I believe that, and many others do as well, that this is more, more or less, it's a, it's a crown that we can win now. It's a reward that God gives us in terms of the, the spirit of joy that comes when we endure the way God wants us to endure the trials. Psalm 1611 is one of my favorite verses. It's not my life verse, but it's a favorite verse of mine. Uh, and, and it says there, um, I just forgot it. Um, help me. This is when I go to you. Psalm 1611. Um, some of you might have to turn there and get me started. Maybe I'll look at my notes. I hear pages turning or, or on your computer. I can't hear that. But Psalm 1611. Thou wilt show me, thank you, I just needed that. Thou wilt show me the path of life. Thy presence is fullness of joy at the right hand, pleasures forevermore. And so the idea of this crown is that in the presence of God, responding correctly to trials in life, there is this attending joy and life and pleasure, spiritually speaking, that comes when we are practicing the presence of God through the trials of life. Thank you for helping me with that. And so there's this idea that but blessed is the man that endures temptation, for as or when he is tried, he receives this wonderful crown. And when you smile, when you smile, dear friend, through your trials and temptations, your difficulties, when you endure well, I, uh, we can tell it just looking at you, there is this aura, there's this uh, spiritual uh, attitude that emanates from you that's almost like wearing the crown. I've seen it in so many Christians going through the most difficult period of time. They don't turn into persimmons. Rather, there is this angelic glow, this almost a halo of joy that just permeates them in difficulty. No one asks for difficult. No one asks for trials. But dear friend, when you understand God is in control and He's using it for your good and His glory, there is this, it's hard to explain it unless you've seen it. There is this attending joy that just radiates from your life. People see it almost as the crown of life. That's my take on that. Now, there may be a literal crown. There's other crowns spoken of as well. Well, it's given to those that love Him. In the midst of it all, Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. God doesn't hate you, dear friend. He's maturing you. He's perfecting you. And so He's giving you the gift Paul says in Philippians, the gift of suffering in order that when you get to heaven, you're matured in your spirit and in your life. Let no man say, then we're changing the topic here, uh, let no man say when he's tempted. Uh, there's, I found my notes. I found six, uh, Psalm 1611, just uh, for the record. But anyway, we'd be thankful or to be honest. Uh, we're not to just be thankful for the temptations to come. Now we, we see this thing in verse 13. We've got to be honest about are temptations. Now, now, this is the temptation that comes to sin. Different use of the word, verse 13. Let no man say, when he is tempted to do evil, sinful seductions. You know about those, or am I, am I the only one? 
You living in a sinful world like I am? Are you tempted ever? I know you are. Let no man say when he is tempted. Uh, We talked about excuses for sexual idolatry this morning. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he incite, send temptation to any man. But every man, let's be honest, this is the next point, let's be honest. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, his own strong desires, and enticed. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, when it's run its course, will eventuate in death. Don't be self-deceived. Don't err, my beloved brethren. Now, I've entitled this point, Be Honest with God and with Yourself. There's two camps we're in. The first camp says, well, I'm, I'm tempted, and I know God never sins, and I know God doesn't send the temptation, but it's partly His fault. That's camp number one. And there's another camp that says, no, it's as God said, it's my fault. It's my heart. From, from within, out of the heart of man, Matthew tells us, proceed all these evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and so forth. Let's be honest. So camp one, I sin, but it's partly God's fault. Camp two, I sin and it's all on me. I hope you're in camp two. What kind of excuses do you hear from camp one? We spoke of some of them this morning. Uh, the tree was the problem. The fruit it was too good looking, too, it just, I had to walk by. Why did you put it here, Lord, in the middle of the garden? The woman, can you hear Adam? It was that woman. You gave me that woman, and, and she was the one that brought me into the, the sin. It's fruit, Lord, it was so tasty. If women weren't so beautiful, or if I had a more loving husband or spouse, if I had a, maybe you're single, if I had a wife, I wouldn't be tempted in these areas. I mentioned excuses we make this morning. And those are, there are people who say when he's tempted, Lord, maybe it isn't all your fault, but partly because of where I am in life and what I don't have or have or what I'm suffering. Uh, Lord, if you would change my circumstances, I would be a better person. If you would just move me away from the, I then, if I had more money, if I, if I could just change my station, then maybe... And God says, no, no, no. Every man is tempted when he himself is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Matthew 19, the Pharisee justified himself. Beat on his, I said, if I, I'm not like him, praise God. But it was the one who was justified who said, Lord, it's me. I need your mercy. I'm a sinner. We need to call ourselves what we are. And when in Helping someone else who's struggling with sin and ongoing sin, you start at this baseline. Listen, you may be surrounded with difficulties and difficult people. That may be true. That doesn't help, perhaps. But you may not be able to change those things. But truth is, let's deal with the sin in your heart and in mine. I can't do anything about other people's sin, but I can't address the fact that it is my own. The idea in the, in the Greek here is that we not only make the trap for ourselves, we bait the hook, and then we are, the Greek says, we're deluded into eating the bait ourselves. Isn't that amazing? We blame others, but we're the one that built the trap, set the hook or the bait, and then we ate it. 
That's the idea of this. Every man is drawn away, deluded by his own thinking, takes the bait, and eventually it's spiritual suicide. And parents, I want to I'm going to use a little exchange here to help you understand. As parents, let's not um, go on a witch hunt when your kids come to you in tears about um, someone else's sin. Usually it's a sibling, right? I just wrote this little thing real quick about what happens. We need to call ourselves what we are, sinners. And what we do is sin. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away with the strong desires. Well, here comes... It uh, starts young. Joey, why did you hit Johnny? You know, your, your, the kids are fighting, right? Joey and Johnny. Well, he took my car. That was mine. And so we go on an endless witch hunt as parents. Johnny, why did you take the car? Well, because he had two and I needed one. I needed one. He wanted one, didn't he? And Joey, why did, why did you have two? Well, because Grandpa... Gave me to at Christmas, remember? Two pack of cars, and they're mine. Well, kids, let me just call Grandpa real quick and settle this. Gramps, why did you give Joey two cars and Johnny none? Grandpa's waking up from his nap, trying to figure out what you're talking about. Well, if I remember right, we did give Johnny, uh, or Joey the cars, and Johnny, we gave Johnny that lightsaber. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Johnny? So we go back to the circle of confusion. Johnny, you need to be thankful for the lightsaber. Well, it's broken. And Joey broke it. So, Joey, if you broke it, you might want to at least, John, at least give, just, just give Johnny the car. Just let him have the car. And we're trying to figure out who's at fault, who's at most at fault. Or we try to negotiate about what did you do and what... Did, We need to stop that and go right to the heart. As parents, use this as a teaching opportunity. Every boy, every girl, every man, every woman is drawn away of their own lusts and enticed. So what would you do? You'd just take Joey aside and say, the text is clear, Joey. (laughs) The Bible's true. You were drawn away, and your sin is selfishness. Johnny, your sin is stealing or greed. Johnny, you have a hundred other toys in this box, and this fight is not coming from your brother. It's coming where? If we're honest and spiritual, if we're honest about it, where is the battle coming from? Folks, you're following tonight? Every man, that's every boy, every girl, Every man, every woman is drawn away of his own lusts. And so you need to deal, both Joey and Johnny, to deal with that strong desire for evil that comes from within. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, baited by his own desires. And when his own lust is, is conceived, it brings forth sin. If he doesn't turn and run from it, confess and forsake it. And when it's finished, here's when, here's when parenting gets theological and fun, I think. When we take Scripture and apply it to real life. And that's what James is all about. 
Joey and John, you both understand that this battle you're having isn't about this matchbox car. It's not about the lightsaber. It's not about grandpa. It's not about Christmas. <laughs> it's about your hearts. Do you know you were born in sin? And what causes you to fight is this strong desire for stuff, for selfishness. And you're greedy. And you're selfish. And God wants you to know the only answer to that is not even sharing, although that might be a, a panacea to give. It, it might be a great thing for one to share. But it, the, the answer to sin is that Christ came, died on a cross, to save us from our sin and give us the power to think right and to do right. Do you understand how dangerous sin is? If we don't get a hold of what this is, it's going to lead us eventually to die, to death. Sin is dangerous. And that's the enemy in your home. That's the enemy in your heart. Every man drawn away. And you know, We've all been cast into sin, haven't we? We've all been, we're born in sin. And that's why even a child, sometimes who, who doesn't even come to a full maturity, is born, is stillborn. That death, that that innocent, who's never had a chance to sin, but yet sin is so pervasive through the fall of Adam and Eve that even these innocent children, right? Born in sin, conceived in sin. That's how dangerous this sin thing is. And glory, hallelujah, one day it will be eradicated in the presence of God. But this is a killer. Sin from our own hearts is a killer. It's killing you if you're continuing in it. Death itself is the mark of sin. So James says, be honest about your sin, where it's coming from. It's coming from your own hearts. Verse 14, again, is interesting from the Greek Deliazo, to bait or to bait a snare and then to eat the bait by its own self. The person who makes the trap is ensnared by it. And so we are to understand that there's only one salvation from sin. That's from the Lord Himself. And so He says, verse 16, Don't be confused about where your temptations come from. Remember the ascetics who moved away and lived in caves or what sat at the top of poles and some of them blinded themselves so they wouldn't see anything that's attractive. They hurt themselves so that sin wouldn't be a problem. But sin comes from where? Inside. You can go to an island somewhere and uh, you'll still drag sin with you because it's laced in your heart. So don't, don't err, my beloved brothers. Then, then, then you see this, another point. Be content with Christ. Wrapping up here tonight. Uh, verse 17 and 18, every good gift and every perfect gift. He's talking about different illustrations. He's talking about the waves that are tossed, right? Verse 6. And then he's talked about grass that rises. Almost, uh, you can see it, and then it gets cut down, or the, the sun arises, and it withers away. And then he comes to another illustration from nature, and we see it in verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. The Father of lights, the creator of it all, with whom is the star doesn't vary. Everything orbits around the star, but the star is in a permanent fixed position. There's no shadow to the sun, in itself that is. There's just reflections on earth, that's where shadows come. But the sun itself is a source of light, and he's saying in opposition or in in really contradiction, or at least in, 
the other side of the coin to all these things that, like the wave of the sea and the grass that grows that perishes and that the wave that comes and goes is unstable. We have a God that never changes and truth that's eternal. So build your life on that. It's from above, from the Father of life, with whom is no variableness. He doesn't change. He doesn't move off his orbit. He's fixed, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will, he begot us with the word of truth. There's the other fixed reality, the word of truth. He's talking to a bunch of folks that are new to the church and new to salvation. God has made you a picture of what real faith is. You've been brought to life because of this God and this word of truth. That we should be a display, the first fruits of His creatures. What a wonderful truth. We are to be content with Christ. Be content with Christ. The source of light, the source of life, the source of truth is in Christ alone. Attach yourself, dear ones, in persecution to the word of truth. What do you know and who do you know that's true and eternal? Hang on to that. He loved his scattered brethren, many of them who started their walk in faith there at Pentecost. He loved them and he missed them and he knew that they were at, at the, many of them were being hunted down, persecuted. He says, don't, don't be shaken like a wave or the grass. Don't be shaken. Don't wither. Instead, hang on this eternal truth that God is and that God ever shall be, and that from Him comes the truth that you must base your life upon. Is there no other way, one author wrote, unknown poet, is there no other way, dear God, except through sorrow, pain, and loss, to stamp Christ's likeness on my soul? No other way except the cross, and then a voice stills all my soul, as it stilled the waves of Galilee, Canst thou not bear the furnace heat if in the flames I walk with thee? I bear, I bore the cross, I know its weight. I drank the cup that I hold for thee. Canst thou not follow where I lead? I'll give thee strength. Lean hard on me. Are you a display of his grace? Or are you chiding, fighting God all the way? Are you honest about your sin? Or are you blaming others? And then are you hanging on to the truth? Are you content and satisfied with the truth that is eternal? Are you holding fast? Father, thank you for your work in our hearts and lives today as we've opened the Word. And Father, I thank you for the practical nature of this book. So often in our sin, we tend to blame others as though we're not responsible for our own wanderings away. And then, Lord, we're thankful, too, for the truth that you saved us. Whether we have much or little, it was by a brokenness of spirit, a repentance from sin, and a crying out for a Savior that we came to faith. Thank you for that. We're to be grateful. We're to be content. And then, Lord, of course, we're to hang on to things that are true and eternal. Lord, I pray that this week we'd walk in victory. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.